Hey, folks, it's your favorite zero-level characters. It's the No Class Podcast. With your internet friends, Eddie. And Matt. So. What up? Here we are again. This one you won't hear for about two weeks, but we're recording it the day after our last podcast. The day after. So we'll put this one up and schedule it for release, and you'll get to hear it, and you'll think it's brand new, but it's something that we put in the bank just for you so we'd have something so we can hopefully meet our schedule right on our busy schedule if in a perfect world we'd be doing this on alternate thursdays in a perfect that would be so you get two of them a month Mm -hmm. but we shall see but but my crippling heroin addiction yeah so check back every two weeks and see if there's a new one if not just wait longer yay so you're probably asking yourself what will we be talking about today? Is that what you were asking yourself? Duh. Let's talk about this show that I've been hounding you to watch. Oh, The Boys. The Boys on Amazon. Yeah. Um, out in the nerdosphere, you know, when I start seeing a lot of good buzz about something, Zzz. it's kind of like this. I'm going to go talk. We talked about yesterday was people are like, I couldn't come to a con. It's like we all are all nerds and dorks and geeks. We got a lot in common. And to that end, like I said, I've got an interesting spectrum of friends, but a lot of them, the one common denominator is we're some flavor of dork nerd geek or whatever and so when i see my facebook blowing up like you've got to see this or you've got to watch that it's usually a good sign i'm going to like it because we've got a lot in common you know and yeah so i'd already seen people on the internet like oh man the boys and then when eddie's like you gotta watch it you know well that does it gotta watch it yeah i have a reputation for hating everything for some reason (laughs) what no but he's not highly critical at all but if i give you a recommendation Unless it's food. Well, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. But, um, but no, I said. really enjoyed The Boys. I mean, there was you know, aspects of it that I was kind of like, eh, but overall, loved it. It was good. So I think we've given you the nickel description of it, but it's along the lines of The Watchmen and What If Superheroes, and in this case, The Justice J- League. Yeah, like this is basically the JLA with a few little... What if they were dicks? Yeah, no, more than that. Just really, really, really bad people. But you got to figure the old saying like... Except for Homelander. Power. He's the one that is always straight on the straight and narrow, which I thought was interesting and kind of the juxtaposition or whatever you want to say. Like, he's around all this corruption, but he stays on the, tr- yeah, the true path. It's just wild. Um but you have to figure, you know, power corrupts and being all powerful is all corrupting. Isn't that the old saying? Something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolute power. Absolute power. And so you got to figure these people are, they're more than human. They're in their minds godlike. Definitely like Homelander. And so, so a lot like me. You have to At least think in their opinions of themselves. It, it, you know, that would go to their head and pretty soon they figure, yeah. well, we're above normal morals. And, I am the law. Yeah, do it, you know. And so these people just are terrible awful awful people and so it's interesting to see that kind of like there was a video game called injustice i think yeah that's... which i've never played so i might be completely off base but i mean yeah it's like all your favorite heroes from dc are all really bad what if superman people. had a really horrible day and decided he was going to crack down and be a dictator yeah like you know. the nanny state sort of yeah. i know what's best for you you're going to do this fall in line and that's kind of what uh 
I can't think life. of the director, but the guy who was doing like the last Superman versus Batman thing or whatever, you know, Batman keeps going, you're some alien. How do we know, you know, you could go rogue or you could be, you know, a, what if, what if you go jerk or something on us? So that's why he tried to find Superman's weakness. And I think in the movie he finds out that kryptonite is his kryptonite. Yeah. Ah, I think uh-huh. about that. Yeah. So that's become so much a part of the culture. Like what's your Achilles heel, your, your kryptonite. But anyway, you know, really enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, it's, I'm going to warn people. I mean, there's really bad language. There's nudity and sex and really dark adult themes. And, I mean, you know, so just be prepared. And there's one scene that even made us both cringe pretty hard. Yeah. Ugh. It's like, but that being said, I, I, absolutely, we enjoyed it. Yeah. So there's our recommendation. We're not getting sponsored by Amazon yet. Yeah. But I'm sure they're listening. So I'm sure of it. You know, in some capacity. Alexa, turn off. Yeah. Siri, give us a sponsorship. Yeah. Um, and then as far as what games are you playing right now? I have started Pillars of Eternity. Do you know anything about that? Not a thing. I know you know about the old Baldur's Gate series. Oh, yeah. I love it. So I'm not sure when Pillars of Eternity came out, but that seems like that's sort of the direct offspring. Now, was this this company out of somewhere Obsidian. in like... Obsidian. Oh, is it Obsidian? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I know that they're, somebody's doing a new Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter Nights or something. Yeah, I can't but, remember but who those guys are. some company out of Czechoslovakia or something that their game, Divinity or something, blew people's skirts up. I played hard. Divinity. It's pretty good. Yeah, but so, it's almost a Dark Souls-ish. But I was going to say, so those guys, I think, are difficulty. the ones that are going to do the new Neverwinter Night. Yeah, I would be okay with that. Yeah, they have Watsy's But that one blessing. is an acquired taste, for sure. Divinity. Mm-hmm. I say that I could be completely wrong, but I'm just through the vodka fuzz, you know, trying to recollect. But the Pillars of Eternity same still has those same kind of like crosshair icons that you're used to. Yeah. So that looks very familiar. The interface, very familiar. They're not using the 2.0 rules anymore for D&D. So I think this is their own little version of... Is it like 3.5, 4.0, 5.0, or just their own? It's not licensed. So ah, I think this so. is some stuff they made up themselves. Sure. Um, and one of the interesting things is, since they don't have the license, mm-hmm. they still have Magic Missile, mm-hmm. but it's like Minute Meteors or something like that. It's like it's still MM. It still does the same thing. Here's three missiles. And it's still a first level spell. They don't have Burning Hands. They have... Flaming Hands. You're pretty close. Fan uh, of fire. Fan of fire. Which was how the spell was described in the early edition was yeah. you put your thumbs together and splay your fingers out and it's a fan of flames or that's hilarious. Oh so, yeah, that's pretty funny. But it's anymore it's kinda hard to copyright so much of this stuff. You oh know? yeah. You you may own the name, but you can't really own the effect as much. That's like when people get and this now I'm segueing into kind of what we're talking about yesterday and something that you know Robert brought up was I think anyway, that uh people whinging or worrying about oh man playing some different system man it's all if it's fantasy it's kobolds and swords and magic missiles it's just maybe a different dice or a different name or the mechanic is slightly different but it's all the same thing man you know it's mostly yeah and 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 the 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 onus is on the the hardest part is on the game master you as a player if it's like a new game yeah man just tell the guy what you or gal what you want to do and they'll go point and go roll that dice what did you get 14 all right add two to that all right and he tells you here's what happens 
it's really the hardest work is on the, the game master. But anyway, so you so this sounds like a lot of fun. Obviously, you're enjoying. It. How far are you into it? I am not far at all. I am probably an hour into it. Okay. So if you like Baldur's Gate, this might be for you. I can't give it the thumbs up yet. But if you hate Baldur's Gate, you're gonna hate this. I'm pretty yeah. sure. So. But I mean, if you hate Baldur's Gate, you must kick puppies or something. I don't know. You're listening to the wrong podcast. Yeah. Get out of here. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And I heard that you've begun reading books again. I'm afraid so. And um, the one I'm reading right now is called The Sign of the Labras. And like a Labras, the term was uh, some of the earliest drawings of like in Crete or whatever on a stone wall. A Labras is like a double bit axe, which anyway, that has nothing to do with here and there. The Sign of the Labras is actually, it's, it's uh, um, appendix in literature, but it's science fiction, not fantasy. Um, her name is Margaret St. Clair is the author and she did a lot of science fiction back when. Now, is she the only woman on the appendix in? She's one of the few, but no, not the only one. Um, there's also the lady that came and played D and D with Gary Gygax and ended up writing that book, which is name I can't think of right now, which hurts mm. my heart. But, um, she wrote a book based off of the adventure that she played with Gary Gygax. And she had written quite a bit of fantasy and science fiction literature as well. Um, but, you know, back in those days, and that's a whole other podcast story or whatever, that it was tough for gals to break into science fiction and fantasy literature. And many of them, including Mrs. St. Clair, operated initially under a male pseudonym, mm-hmm. as did Andrea Horton or Andrea Norton. That's, yeah, that's something. Andrea Norton is also on the appendix in, and she played D&D with Gary Gygax. That's a whole check. Look into that. Google it. It's kind of neat. Well, we have threatened many times to do an appendix in kind of book review, book critique, author critique, something like yeah. that. No, definitely. Um, because right now I'm I'm in a post apocalyptic mood, and so reading like I last time we talked about our while back um, roadside picnic, which I highly recommend. And this one is uh, the sign of the Labrys is like a, a doomsday. In this case, it's plagues has just. De- devastated mankind and so people went into something essentially kind of like fallout shelters to sort of weather it out and also because people need to kind of isolate from each other because people are vectors for this stuff and so one of the interesting things in the story is the main character is like him and everybody else like you see somebody over there you might kind of nod or wave kind of half have you know people aren't like hey come give me a hug or hey let's come closer and shake hands or wait i mean you're you're like sounds like a perfect world yeah it's like keep your distance over there hey yeah you're a human being that survived good to see you glad you made it but you stay over there with your diseases and i'll be over here with mine because like at one point there's a guy that comes to attack the main character and he normally like earlier when they interact the guy's on the other side of the room from him and they're like yeah keep your distance and they talk he's kind of like the fbi or something in this terrible future but at one point the guy comes over and starts trying to punch and wrestle with the main character and getting that close to him and body sweat and close proximity and breath and they're wrestling around with each other and about the time the fight's over and they break apart that guy all of a sudden veins start showing on his face and he starts frothing at the mouth boom kills over and dead like these plagues work that fast and it's just so apparently you realize the main character is a vector he's carrying something that it's there's that term where you're a carrier but you're not necessarily affected by it mm, like typhoid mary yeah and it's not to give too much away but there's a really trippy part of the book and this book was written you figure like in the 50s or 60s or something so these concepts are kind of neat at one point 
he finds one underground shelter that was meant for the the wealthy and the politicians and stuff. And there's a gal down there that's like a party girl, you know, and she's just kind of, but it's, it's that everybody's real pale and wane because they've been underground and they're not getting good nutrition, but she's trying to be a party girl, but she looks kind of, you know, run down. And, and also like years of just kind of the desperation of being underground. She's got this haunted look in her eye that kind of being a hooker. And so it's interesting, like this, like I said, written in the fifties, one point she gives the main character a pill, like let's have some fun. And it's essentially like ecstasy mixed with Viagra. And so oh they start to party. Well, mid coitus, kind of remember what happened when he wrestled with that guy up on the top side of the world, him and this girl are <clears throat> wrestling and halfway through what they're doing, all of a sudden she starts falling in the mouth and spasming. And he realizes, I mean, how perfect is that is to be on a, on an ecstasy trip. And then you realize you just, kill this chick you're having fun with because he's he can't, whatever he's carrying you know anyway really dark stuff and this was written you know like i said 50s 60s it's it's really interesting i, I enjoyed it but, but you know yeah so far it sounds rather interesting you know i mean that's just one takeaway there's a lot of other good stuff in there it's it's it's, it's different it's science fiction enjoyable yeah all right we're gonna pick up where we left off last time since we talked about how to convention, and this one's probably just going to be a bit of a mixed bag podcast. Yeah. But going back to Robert Vegeta's email that we got, did we cover trying new systems or settings? Do you feel like you gave that the uh, attention that you would have liked to? I mean, yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. That's what he's. That's what he's wanting to tell you, folks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Pretty. I mean, I was like, what, "What's what's left to be said?" Um, Beat that horse one more time. Well, you know. Uh, so, like he he talked about the subject of trying new systems or settings. Well, I think yesterday I kind of said to people, like, you know, don't be afraid to try new systems or settings because you might find something that you really enjoy, and you know, you'll still have, you know, most people back in the day, their first interaction with role playing games was D and D, but then we branch into other things. But there's some people out there, if you talk to them, like, oh, no, my first game was Call of Cthulhu or this or that. or, mm-hmm. And I think that's great, but that's kind of the exception, not the rule. Um, but that's why I'm just kind of blown away by people that are just so reluctant to try something new. Because when I was a kid and growing up, if one of my buddies was like, hey, man, I want to do supers. All right, let's do supers. You could tell he had some enthusiasm. He had a cool idea. This is going to pay off. You're going to have fun. We'd play supers until that kind of played out. And then we'd go play fantasy. And then we'd go play, uh, it used to be called Universe, but basically it was space opera. Um, we were like smugglers, you know, haha, a la Han Solo or something. Um, and then we'd do, you know, post apocalyptic a lot of times because I love, I've always loved post apocalyptic gaming. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, but I think we pretty much touched on that yesterday. The simple boil down of that one is hey, Try something new. You don't know if you like it until yeah. you try it. And what I was getting at earlier was, really, no offense, it's a lame cop-out because I don't care how convoluted the system may be. In some games, they're moving away from that. But the the, the, the greatest difficulty in that regard is on the GM to know all those new rules, not you. So as a player, it really is as simple as the GM goes, Here's I set the scene. All right, what does your character do? I do X. Okay, now let me tell you what happens. You know, roll some dice. You know, so the real work is on the, the GM. Don't be afraid to try a new system as a player. Anyway. And this is one we were just talking about before we started the podcast. We kind of had to shut up so that we could get to a podcast. Yeah. 
tempering expectations to maximize your con enjoyment. And I think you have a problem with the whole premise of that. So go ahead and lay into it. Tear yeah, I mean, apart. It, it's like, uh, you know, not hoping to slaughter what I was trying to say, but I mean, I'm looking at the sentence and, you know, like, uh, am I awake enough yet? Because tempering expectations to maximize con enjoyment, it's like, what is it like? Basically, no, don't get your hopes up. You know, I, I have to kind of argue with that whole thing there because I'm don't not argue with it. Well, because, okay, like we talked about a minute ago, everybody's different, but I would think not to say you could be a novice GM and show up at a con and run a game. Sure. I don't think anybody would have the brass to do that. And if they did, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I've never been one to discourage anybody from running the game. That might not be the best time to, to wet your whistle on trying to, to, to be a game master bomb means hone your craft with your buddies or at a local game club or something. But the majority, if not everybody running games at a con is generally going to be an experienced game master or mistress. And so I kind of, I'm not saying I expect the best game ever, but I expect the best game from that person. It's like, if you're coming to a con and running a game, I would think you're going to bring your a game. You're going to bring your good material. I'll tell you, this is going back to conversation we had before the podcast about Uh-oh. being hard on yourself or whatever. Uh-oh. Like I really loved bloodbath and that was a fun adventure. And I ran it as a tournament game at the last two, three, four, five cons I've attended, but I finally retired it. And I think everybody's played. had a good time. And, and these players, thank you, have essentially play tested and helped hone it. And the people that got to play it towards the end, really, if you feel like what I did, you can also sort of by proxy, thank, the early people that played it, they probably didn't get the same, they didn't get the same experience. You know, it'd been the more you ran it, the better it got. Yeah, It's kind of like a a gumbo or a stew that, you know, the more days it sits there getting reheated on the stove and those spices get in there a little deeper. It's like, yeah, I mean, it just gets better. Where was I going with this? But yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, okay, back to my You're thing. bringing your A game? Yeah, so it's like now I need to write a new adventure to run at the upcoming Long Con and to run at Long Con Spring and to run at NTRPG, and I probably would retire it there. All right, now I, I've kind of set the bar in that everybody has so much fun with that one. I'm trying to think of a concept as good as that that seems as fun to me, and I won't lie, I'm having a little bit of writer's block. I, we haven't talked good. about this, but right now I'm a little kind of like – crap you know i need to i want to do something i want to bring a good experience to my players and i've set a precedent like we said people pre-purchased half the tickets from my tables that's kind of put it on me like mm-hmm. I, these people so yeah i'll say um no 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 as far as tempering expectations uh no i mean i'm not saying that you should and i don't want i, I do people show up to cons thinking this is a con this better be the best game i ever played all right con- i think so and if so, I'd say, nah, nah, calm yourself. But at the same time, I would think that, yeah, you should be able to expect at least a good game, you know, if not a great game. But I, I, I'll run a different kind of game at a con than I good. might. Yeah. Well, you notice that, like, when I'm running our local game group, you know, it's pretty sedate. When I run a game at a con, I mean, I got some good sleep that night. I had a hearty breakfast. I'm going to slam an energy drink. I mean, I'm going to stand up the whole game. It's high octane. I don't let my foot off the gas pedal a lot of times. It's like, yeah, you know. So it is a different kind of experience. Yeah, at a con game, I literally had a chick at uh, one con recently go, hold on a second, I got to catch my breath at the table. I mean, just wham, you know, I'm just pow, bringing it, you know. Pow. Are you saying pow? Pow, pow, you know. So as normal, I will take the opposing viewpoint and say, 
yeah, you probably should temper your expectations. Hmm. You don't know who's going to be running stuff for you. Yeah. And you shouldn't be a jerk about it. Well, no, definitely don't be a jerk. Somebody, it could be the very first game somebody's ever run. You say, not at a con, but it could. It I could mean, very well. I mean, if they've got the brass, the conies for that, go for it by all means. Somebody know? could be like, I'm taking advantage of this sweet, sweet discount. That's true. I'm going to get this discount. I'm going to run a game. And if you're just going through the motions, that's not cool. No, it's way uncool. But if like, you're that's an okay GM, that's okay. Yeah. What's well, what I'm saying? I mean, it, your your best game might not be as good as somebody else's game, but if you, it's kind of my mom always said, I don't care what you do, just give it your best, give it your all. If you know you're doing your best and you're trying and not half-assing, that's great. And it's going to come across to the people you're playing with. But if you're that jerk that shows up hungover and you do it half-ass, people are going to know and they're going to go, that guy's a jerk. But don't be the uh, art critic player where you're like, well, that wasn't quite up to the standards that I would expect. These are volunteer GMs. Yeah, they're doing. These are not favor. paid professionals. They're yeah. not voice actors. This ain't Matt Mercer. You this know. is the same person. That's the same as you. Yeah, and and you should. And I've and I've said this in the, to Eddie. We had a conversation a while back about I respect people that are running a game for me. I try to at least respect, respect is a thing them. that's earned, but no, I respect them. And the fact, and a lot of times, and ten times, nine times out of ten, I'm playing a game with Eddie or somebody else, and they do something that at the end of the game I go, I don't know if I agree with that, but what? I don't show my ass to the table. I don't get all in their face. I wait till it's over and go, hey, at that one part when the cobalt did that, and more times than not, the GM go, well, here was my thought process. And even if you don't entirely agree with it, you realize. This wasn't something they just did to be a jerk. There was a thought process behind that action. Give them the benefit of the doubt that, and there's players that can't understand, there's a curtain back here. And there's a lot going on behind that curtain that you don't see or realize. And I've had to with players that will get in my face, but why do they do that? Here, let me ruin the, the mystery of it and pull back the curtain. And let me explain. They go, oh, I guess that does make sense. Yeah, so shut up and play. You know, don't question every damn thing I do. There's a rationale. I've been doing this for 30 years, you know. Anyway, so be realistic in your expectations yeah. is what I would say. Don't go into every game thinking this better be the best one. This better be uh, Matt Mercer quality. It's just people, man. They're doing you a favor yeah, by running a game. Absolutely. I can say I, if it wasn't for the players, there wouldn't be a con. But really, at the end of the day, there wouldn't be a con if there wasn't for game masters. Because you might have 100 people showing up looking for a game, but if there's no one to run games. There's. I mean, that, I've always a lot of appreciation and respect for Game Masters. And when you manage your expectations, you can be pleasantly surprised instead of disappointed all the time. No, and that's true, too. I mean, how many times have I went to a movie that I really didn't necessarily want to go to with a bud, and then in the end go, you know, that really was pretty darn good. That's what I'm because telling Because I you. didn't set this high mental bar for it or whatever. So there's, there's something to that. Um, Not every con game has to change your life. No. And like we said yesterday, even the times when we've went, because I love going to some random game with a DM I've never played with before, a system I've never played before, and some of those have been real gems, and some of those have been god-awful, but then those make the best stories. Yeah, think about some of the god-awful ones, though, where mm -hmm. it's like, man, I feel for this GM. Yeah. You just kind of put yourself in those shoes, like, man, if I was the game master right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of those aren't necessarily things that they've done. Sometimes it's the group. Like they have that player in there in that's just mm -hmm. kind of ruining everybody's fun. Like the our, our final Bill Barsh competitive game. That guy. Too many players. That, well, but that guy. 
Oh, you know that guy. Oh yeah. 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 Oh man. You know the God. game was all about him. And he was just an he was idiot. a one person. Party. And he was a blithering idiot. God bless him. God bless his little heart. But yeah, Oof. or something, or just a self-centered jerk. I don't know. Whatever. But in the end, hilariously enough, I mean, he was such a dork and a jerk, and at the table was kind of ruining things. But we look back at that story, and it's all the more memorable because if everything went perfect and hunky dory, we might not would even remember the incident. But with that guy in the mix, you're like, ah, oh, remember that that guy, you know. And it's funny, there's a guy that I'm Facebook friends with that we see at the con every year. That he, at one point, we point the guy to him like, this guy over here is a jerk. And he goes, yeah, that's my roomie <laughs> at the con. Because this guy come, is coming from parts unknown, and he's trying to save a buck. Like we talked about, there's ways to save a buck. And he found a forum where people are like, hey, I'm looking for a roommate at NTRPG or other cons. Which, we, you know, we need a forum or something like that. You know, help facilitate people. We've got a Facebook group. Yeah, but not everybody does Facebook. Well, too bad. If you yeah. don't Facebook, get out. Right on. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. So, yeah. my take-home point on that one will be allow people to run a game for you without terribly too much expectations, expecting them to be like a professional GM, and allow yourself to run a game without putting too much pressure on yourself. You can run a game without having... 20 years of experience, probably the people at the table, if they GM, are only that good. There's a lot more average GMs than great GMs. So you don't have to hold yourself to a gold standard either. It's about the fun. I, I, Come on, man. It's I agree fun. with that statement. No, no. And, and honestly, I mean, call me out. I don't remember ever leaving a table and my first thing is like, well, let's pick apart that GM. Oh wow! You should you should do this a lot of fun. No, I'm kidding. No, but I mean that's that's what I'm getting. I mean I've been gaming for years. Well, in our recent club experience, there was a complete novice GM that ran for us, and God bless her. I mean she's like boiling sweat, and we're like, are you okay? And she's like, I'm just really nervous running for you old pros. And I'm like, baby doll, we get it. You're brand new at this. You get a free pass. No matter what you do, we're just glad you're running for us. And we're over here laughing and cutting up amongst ourselves and rolling dice and having fun. So, I mean, our expectations were, were what they were. And you know what? I, m- my mental remembrance is that I had a good time. She did yeah. a fine job. So, I mean, don't be all nervous. Don't beat yourself up. I mean, some people, I mean, you know, unless maybe we come across as just such jerks that she thought That's we were going to just eviscerate her. But no, I appreciate her running for us. All these other people, more seasoned GMs in our club, <clears throat> didn't run for us. So I appreciate that she did, you know. Well, here's one that will probably divide us again on our opinion. Mm-hmm. How would you like to run for our celebrity guest? How would you like to run a game for Brendan? You know what? And this is what we've talked about. I guess I am so as a GM comfortable in my own skin, I'm just, I'm not intimidated by that. Honestly. I would. I'd be like, oh shit, I'm running for Brandon. But but that's what we've talked about. Now, don't get me wrong. They might very well go behind me and go, this guy thinks he's hot shit, which I don't. Mm -hmm. I've never said that. And for two, you know, it's like he's been running these games for 30 years. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's why there's a lot more pressure on you, I think. But I know, and, and you know, this hilarious thing is we've had people in the club that would show up and get on my table like when me, you, and Gary were running all the time and play with me one or two games and I'd see him drift away to y'all's tables and I would notice I'd go, huh. And it wouldn't be like I'd go, oh, what did I do wrong? I wasn't I just the best GM ever? I thought apparently my style of GM isn't what this guy or gal likes. Hmm, okay. Because I've always been that guy that said, uh, you know, 
not every, I mean, some people are just jerks and, but over an long enough timeline, people, the word gets around and this guy can't find a game to run anymore unless mm-hmm. he changes who they are personally. But I've been the first one to say, I get it. I have a particular style. You have a style. Gary has a style. My style of GM might not be what a certain player expectation is. That's the beautiful thing about these games is if you don't like the way your GM runs games, carry your ass. Go find someone else to run games for you. Or start it, running your own. Right. And it, But it might be a chance always for self-reflection to go, you know, like, am I setting the bar too high or maybe the problem with me? But ultimately – I'm not out there trying to please everybody. I think I run a decent game and mm. people like to game with me, but there are people mm. that appreciate my style. Mm. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but that's, um, but you know, it's, that's funny. Cause I've had that sat there and, and thought about it. Like, you know, I get it. Not everybody's going to like the way I run a game. I don't beat myself up about it. This is me. This is how I run games. I have fun with it. A lot of the players have fun with it. If, but if this is not your style, it didn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. People we were talking different. about this before the podcast too. I still get nervous before I run a game. It doesn't matter how many games I've run. It's kind of sort of like public speaking. If you got to get up there, I can do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. But there's always at least some amount of nervousness to it. But that's very brave because you have to figure that for you to do it in spite of the fact that you have all that if reticence is the right word. I mean, that's that's noble that you're you fight through it and do it. That's that's pretty cool. But I'd like to say for anybody out there listening that's new, yeah. that's normal, guys. So you think, but here's a guy who runs a phenomenal game, has been doing it how long, and even he gets jitters before. And there's professionals. And I've seen this guy pick himself apart afterwards. One night he ran a game that we had a ton of fun. We're driving home, and he's over here, verbally, you know, kind of picking himself apart. And I was, and I pulled the car over, and I'm like, dude. The, the, for me, the litmus test of a game is, because well, we do this stuff for entertainment. Did you have fun? Well, yeah. Did the players have fun? I can speak. Everybody at that table left the table on a high note, tickled pink or whatever. You did your job, and you did it well. It was, well, it was great. Well, I want to say you know? it might be Harley Stroh that was talking about that he still gets nervous before he runs games. Yeah. And, I mean, even the professionals, yeah. there's still that little bit of stage fright or whatever you want to call it. But, so, if you experience that, that's normal. Yeah, and but then that's also a good thing in a way because it means at least it's so, it, that you're trying to hone your craft. It I means like to something think. to yeah. you. Yeah, because you give it, a crap, and it's not that maybe maybe that could be it. The reason why I don't I'm not that anxious about it is because it's like well, what you're not trying to bring your A game. No, no, no. Because I'll be the first one to tell you, like when I'm going to run a game at a club or something, it's a pre-published material. I read it like a quick scan, then I read it again, then like the day before the game, I might read it another time. Also, that second and third time reading it, I'll, I keep a red pen and a yellow highlighter marker, and I highlight certain things and do other things in red because I want to make sure I don't miss these key points or that don't forget that one ability. So with me putting that much work into running it, eh, I think the whole well, thing. See, like, I typically don't read a module before I run it, so maybe that's the difference. It might be. <laughs> but anyway, but it's like, no. I mean, I'm I'm concerned about the quality of the game I'm running for people. So that's not that I don't give a crap. I do. You do, but you just I don't know. Some some things are make other people nervous or whatever you want to say, like crowds. Yeah, there are people that are like, I can't come to the con. There'll be more than two people there. And and I'm gonna tell people that have um, anxiety over overstimulation and whatnot like that. I'll let you learn a little secret. I get overstimulated 
by noises and crowds and stuff myself. Mm. And as it let the cat out of the bag yesterday, wow. like handshaking and stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. He doesn't want to shake your hand. Folks. Yeah, he no does offense. Not want and it's to. nothing personal. I'm I was it raised is. to shake hands, eye contact, all that kind of crap. But it's one of those. But I mean, I'm I'm a bag of neuroses myself or whatever. But I love cons. And but no, I mean. Uh, uh, I couldn't work in the ER because there's all the noises and the clangs and the beeps and the screaming and the crying babies. And I get totally overstimulated. I'm like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. It literally makes me wound up like you wouldn't believe and incredibly uncomfortable. So no, I don't like a lot of noise and crowds. And that's why we're, if we can't be in a big enough venue that we can spread out. So then you can appreciate, I'm not, once again, we're not digs on other cons, but our con, we're going to try to, keep the stimuli you know yeah yeah i loved it last sunday the sunday on red river at one point everybody was painting and the room was so quiet you could hear a pin drop Mm -hmm. and i thought this is a gaming convention you know oh it was awesome i loved it that was that was my favorite part of the con (laughs) (laughs) let's all sit in the corner and be quiet for a while you know and keep in mind who's the loudest guy at the con me you know yeah So that's why when you see us running games at the con, our tables will be as far apart Eddie's as possible. Eddie's on the other side of the con. I'm, I'm told my voice projects and carries. And then if you get him to laugh. Oh, look out. Boy, if you get a guffaw. Yeah, I'm going to break your eardrums. We have to have specially made mics here just for that. I, I break a mic at least once every you know, podcast. All right, so the last piece of the our puzzle. puzzle here of our email from Robert Vegeta Mm-hmm. The mindset of one shots versus long medium campaigns and the benefits and drawbacks of both. And I'll go ahead and throw you one right now. One shots, we've said this a million times, call a Cthulhu. Yeah. It's a great one shot game. Absolutely. But it's like I'd say Ravenloft as much as I love Ravenloft. You don't want to, most people, except James Ward, don't want to be in that kind of depressing dark you're gonna lose so bleak yeah but it's a perfect one shot sort of thing oh absolutely and probably x crawl is more of a one shot for me yeah really even though you had a cool idea for an underlying concept for the kind of the the backdrop to the whole i think it would have been somewhat shadow run-esque yeah with all the corporate chicanery mm-hmm so, any other games that you can think of that are a very good one-shot that you would recommend? Well, and, and kind of, which excellent question by Robert, but kind of going in a different direction with it maybe than what you're doing is, at one point you were running a campaign, so there was the underlying ongoing campaign theme. So, there's this this long-term ongoing campaign, but then you came up with a dynamic that allowed... Uh, traditional D&D modules to be plugged in. So the idea was if we went in run direction and we caught some hints and clues, what we don't know until we get there is we're about to enter the Temple of Elemental Evil, but it's in this jungle mm-hmm. world, which was this... Um, you were riffing off an old Sega game. What was it? Uh, the it, Warriors of Eternal Sun, yeah, which was Eternal. a D&D Sega game. D&D Sega game. It was awesome. I owned that on my Sega as well back in the day and played the crap out of it. But So he took kind of the theme from that but he used it as a way that we could wander into portals and caves and you come out the other side. And what I really wanted was a world with no history. Yeah. So that was the, the beginning of that is you're making the history. Yeah. Cause invariably one reason why I've always been kind of nervous about running like 
uh, Forgotten Realms. Forgotten Realms or this or that because there's going to be that one guy who, God bless us, read all those Harper's books and blippity blue and had owned the thing. He's got, well, technically that end wouldn't be there. Or, well, I've never, you know, where's so and so, the famous statue in the town square? It's like, man, I, you know, in this case, no one's going to call you out about that can't be there. Really? How is that? Because this is my world, Bubba. You know. Well, there's so much, like, your character would know the lore of XYZ. And instead of having to try and give everybody a history lesson, you just go, you don't know. Go yeah. go find these things out. And so even me, when I've run some sandboxy stuff in recent years, I'll have the overall concept and theme for that part of the world. I've got that taken care of. And then I'll throw out some, some threads, as I call them, and for the players to pull. And one thread might lead to a published module. Well, that might take two or three sessions to play through. But one or two of the threads are like a basically what I uh, – there's a, a guy, John Ford, who does a, a D&D a role-playing website. He calls them five-room dungeons. But it's the same kind of principle. As, this is a smaller little – you should be able to get through it in one session, little mini dungeon. You know, it's like right now we're doing post-APOC. Um, a couple of the threads lead to published modules. A couple threads lead to which those would take two and three and four and five sessions. Um, some of them lead to just a little quickie, you know, vignette story, but just something smaller and quick. And just you can go there and probably in one evening you should be able to plumb the depths of this one little thing or a little concept. Like one of the things, if y'all head towards what is essentially a post apocalyptic Marshall here in East Texas, there's some mutant freaks that have like holed up in an old burnt down gas station well yeah i mean you go there you fight there's a couple rooms in the gas station i mean you're done in one evening so that's the one shot kind of deal as opposed so i don't know if that's quite the same thing but so what are the benefits of a one shot well we talk about in the reference of before with like hey i'm going you know we're just hey, a one-off game one what's off the game. benefit um it's, it's more bite-sized. It's kind of like easier to digest, you know, and, and sometimes there's something liberating about, you know, you're not tied to the character that much. Now, the bad thing is a whole other... Oh, wait, wait, wait. One of the good things I would say is because you can kind of change the whole setting. Yeah, yeah. So if you are the mood, if you will, like you can play some paranoia mm-hmm. and just laugh and giggle all night, or you can play Call of Cthulhu and be in this really dark world where yeah. those things would lose effect over the long term of a campaign. Right. It can't always be silly, random lull, and it yeah. can't always be gloom and doom. And that's where you get into If you're running those campaigns, you'll have to sprinkle in some different humor or this, that, and the other. But as a one-shot, they can become more effective. You get more punch out of it. For It's, it's like you're not pulling that same trick out all the time, and you can right. appreciate it that one more. It's kind of... All my examples are food and sex, so... This is kind of like the sometimes food. Like, yeah. hey, you know, I like one of those candy bars once a year. That's not. I don't want to eat it all the time. Or like I had some of the, what are the Muncheros or whatever, uh-huh. those $2 chips. And yeah. it's like, man, once a year, those taste pretty good. But at the end of the bag, yeah. you're tasting all the grease. Right so, on. One time. So what's a drawback you were heading towards? Well, it, we, one thing, and segueing, kind of riffing off something you just said was, we've had this discussion before, it's like the post-APOC home campaign I'm running right now, one of the players was like, well, I don't really like the, it's kind of goofy, gonzo, whatever. But the thing is, just like uh, uh, Cthulhu is dark and oppressive, and over a long enough timeline, you're just like, God, I just feel like we can't win. Or you're playing Ravenloft, and we're like, we're always under the gun, and it's so dark and grimdark and gritty and, and just oppressive. You know, uh, you know, Well, 
a real true to what post apoc would be like would be such a dark terrible awful world that it's kind of like you become kind of immured to it. Why would you want to adventure there? Yeah. And so the idea is, we talked about that, is sometimes it's good to let up. And so our play sessions with that, we've just gales of laughter, I mean, till we're almost crying, because of just everybody's being goofy and kind of silly. But then the next minute, one of the characters dies. I mean, holy crap, <laughs> you know? So, I mean... <laughs> You have to see where Cody. you have to kind of let up and have kind of the gonzo just so it's a little light. So that then when you bring it dark and hard and scary, it's like, oh, crap. Because if it's like watching a horror movie where if they keep doing those jump scares, eventually the next jump scare, you kind of go, really? Is you eating your popcorn like I saw that coming? So you kind of back off and have a little comedy and da 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 da. You know? So for me, the drawback of a one shot can be that you don't have an attachment to the characters. Yeah. You don't build that as much necessarily, and there's not as much resource management necessarily, yeah. like we've seen a million times in a DCC game, mm-hmm. where it's like, this character only lives for tonight, I can burn all the luck that I need. Or I can soul burn down to a nub. Well, that's what I was going to say when you said that initially, I was like, oh yeah, it reminded me, we've had a guy that, we were like this guy, he's a good guy, he's a fun gamer, but mm-hmm. he knows the system enough to kind of game it like we're talking about. And as well, you could tell he did some really kind of crazy, over-the-top suicidal crap with his character. And you're kind of going, dang, you know, why is he doing that? Well, because it's a one-shot. Mm-hmm. That's the downside is that, yeah, that like if this was a home camp, who knows what this guy, even in home campaigns, his characters might die left and right because he's just like, I love to watch my characters die in amazing, explosive ways. And it'd be like, all right, that's getting old, buddy. You know, I'd have to pull him aside. But yeah, people aren't as engaged with their character in a one-off. And they're apt to do things that are suicidal, or like we said, abuse the DCC luck spellburn dynamic. But that's why I figured that a long time ago. As far as I tell people in a one shot, you can't burn, you can't soul burn more than five points at a time, you know, per, per spell, because you know they're going to do that. But that drawback also kind of comes back to tempering your expectations at the con, because at the con you're not playing your character that you've played for a year. It's not your home game with your home crew, mm-hmm. so it may not be as good in that way. But if you don't have anybody that's running Call of Cthulhu for you and you hit that up, you'll have a lot of fun with that because it's going to be a change of pace. It's refreshing. Oh, absolutely. And I tell you what, uh, you know, James Ward runs a phenomenal Call of Cthulhu game. And Ben Burns. He's not sponsoring us yet, and neither (laughs) is Ben Burns. But if you're listening to this and you would like to sponsor us, we will continue to praise you. Yeah. But But we're happy to do it for free. No, in in, in all seriousness, like, you know, if you get to play the Call of Cthulhu, chance to play call through do if you get a chance to play with one of those two guys you're welcome you know um but anyway yeah all right now we get to do the uh long and medium campaigns the benefits and drawbacks so as you were talking about in my lost world one of the mm-hmm. benefits of the long campaign was well, I mean, yeah, we were engaged with our characters, absolutely, you know. Um, you were creating your own history. Absolutely. And and we did things that impacted the world. That's cool. I mean, And that one was a living world that other parties yeah. had adventured there before and caused problems yeah. that you had to fix. And there were callbacks to our previous characters that had died or retired. And then also as my new character had to interact with my old character that I'd set a personality for. So now when Eddie's running that character, in a way I did, I made it easier for him in that, well, I know how to run that character now that he's an NPC interacting with your new character. I mean, it was really the, 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 the dynamic of that's pretty neat, mm-hmm. you know? 
um, we had a lot of fun with it. It's a shame that that's kind of uh, withered a bit on the vine, but not to say that, you know. It'll get polished off again someday. Absolutely. But it was a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, a long-term campaign. So the benefit is you can get invested yeah. in your character. Absolutely. You get to know the people at the table that much more. Mm-hmm. You get your teamwork is really going to go through the roof because you know, hey, you can do X and I can do Y, and, boy, if we put those together. Synergy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, the, the gr- and you can see the growth of your character. That's kind of fun sometimes. You know? Exactly. In fact, they talk about the styles of player. One of the, the A the sense style. of pride and accomplishment as yeah. you uh, grow your character. Right on, you know. A drawback, I guess, could be kind of the opposite of that, where it stagnates. Yeah. It's the same thing every day, and it's we've only got these five tricks, and mm-hmm. the GM's going to see that every time. Hey, we're always doing this, yeah. which probably— It a, can get stale. Yeah, yeah probably a, a little glimpse of Matt's future is tiny hut, tiny hut abuse. Uh, yeah, I'm already staring down that. I'm like, what do we do? But anyway. And when your player gets fireball— there's going to be a lot of fireballs thrown around for a while. If every problem's a, uh, what if when you're nail. a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Well, it's like, what do we do? We'll fireball it. But Why I wouldn't you? But I haven't seen one fireball yet. He hasn't wanted to uh, pop that cherry, so to speak. Uh, I guess he wants the fireball the, cherry. Because you'd think that'd be the first thing you do. Yeah, but maybe he's he take wants, that out for a drive. He wants to. He he's saving it for marriage. He's, he's keeping it special <laughs> and sacred. You know. I don't know. I expect there was a lot of stuff yesterday where, like, you know, a fireball right now would be right up, would be ideal. Anyway. Well, all right. I think we have now thoroughly, thoroughly covered Robert's email. Yeah. And absolutely. we have thoroughly, thoroughly run out of hit points. Absolutely. So, you know what that means? It's time to wrap it up. Wrap it up. I'll take it. So, join us next week or in next episode when we begin the karaoke portion of the show. And that'll be our last episode. Right? All right. <laughs> bye bye. Later. <laughs>